Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Organic BC, a nonprofit organization that celebrates, champions, and advocates for the organic sector and broader organic community in British Columbia. Learn more at organicbc.org. My name's Jordan Marr. I'm a BC-based organic farmer, and I'm the host of this podcast. In late 2020, in light of uncertainty caused by the pandemic, Organic BC developed an alternative to its regular in-person annual conference. The conference was mostly online, and its centerpiece was a 40-episode podcast that it produced for conference ticket holders. Our intention was to eventually make these episodes available for free to the public, and what you're about to hear is one of those episodes. Our plan is to release them all on this podcast feed over the next few months. Meanwhile, the Organic BC Conference Committee is busy planning your next conference, which will, once again, take place in person. But it's also going to include a smaller slate of new podcast episodes to be released in January. I'll provide more info about all of that throughout the fall, but for now, I hope you enjoy this episode from the 2021 conference podcast. Oh, and by the way, we also incorporated the annual conference trade show into this podcast series, so we may or may not be taking a break in the middle of this episode for a short trip to that trade show. You'll know what I mean if you hear it. Okay, talk to you at the end, everybody. This episode features another chapter in our mini-series on seed production. This time, my conversation is with Sal Dominelli of Sweet Rock Farm on Gabriola Island. Sal has operated a small-scale organic seed company for years. It's a wide-ranging conversation, but the target audience Sal and I kept in mind was the newbie seed grower. Those who are just getting going in commercial seed production, or veggie farmers who want to produce more seed for use on their own farms. I hope you enjoy it. Hi. My name is Sal Dominelli. I'm an organic farmer on Gabriola Island. I uh, run Sweet Rock Farm, and I guess I'm known mostly as a seed grower. We have about 10 acres. Uh, we run sheep. We uh, sell vegetables at the market. We have a roadside stand. We grow fur food first for ourselves, then for our community, and uh, we grow lots of seed. That's what... Uh, that's what we do. Sal Dominelli, thanks a lot for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. Sal, I've invited you on as part of our episode or two on seed production, um, but we better start with your farm. Tell me a little bit about Sweet Rock Farm. Okay. Um, we have uh, two areas that we farm, uh, five acres each. Uh, one is leased and one is owned. Um, they're not they're not uh, fully uh, under seed production. Um, between the two areas, uh, I have about two acres devoted to seed and vegetable production. Uh, we also have um, some animals. We have, uh, right now we have six. About uh, a month ago, we had 18. Um uh, six sheep and right now and and a couple of one horse for us we board another horse and we use the animals primarily for uh, grazing in areas that are not under vegetable production uh, or seed production to help fertilize the fields we use their manure to compost um, and we and we have some some laying hands just enough for us but they also contribute to the compost as well a um, couple of greenhouses um, 100 feet long, um, another little sort of a hoop, uh, uh, what would you call those, a little field, 
field tunnel that we also use for uh, isolating varieties. And uh, I wouldn't call myself no-till, but I'm uh, pretty low-till. I'm not uh, hugely into uh, uh, tilling up the soil. Um, yeah, I, I guess more will come out about the farm as we as we talk. And so are you the original or one of the original owners of Sweet Rock Farm? Did you name the farm? Tell me about the history. <laughs> yeah, I, I named the farm and uh, I named I, the farm has moved a couple of times. Originally, I was on a two acre piece uh, that we originally my 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 first wife and I bought on Gabriola and uh, and. I didn't know anything about farming at that time. I was a, I was what I would call a gardener, and uh, and we ended up buying a typical Gulf Island piece of property that was a rock. It was pretty much a rock, and uh, and uh, boy, the, the trials and the tribulations of of working trying to turn that piece into a farm was 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 pretty tough. But but uh, anyway. I came up with the, uh, with the name of uh, sweet rock farm, you know, sound may sound dumb, but, but, you know, on that pile of rocks, we ended up growing a lot of sweet. I was actually, uh, I had honeybees for several years. So uh, that was contributed to the name as well. And uh, since then I've moved a couple of times, but the name has come with me. And now I'm on a, uh, a, a nice piece of agricultural land and, uh, there's still some rocks because we're on the Gulf Islands, but uh, but it's very farmable now. And so what was the time span you just described? Like, what's the time since you had the first original big piece of rock to, to, to some better land right now? Um, it's been about, uh, let's see, I know because my son is 24, 23 years it's been. Oh, wow. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, then I want to delve in a little more to that. So because you mentioned when you bought the first piece, you it sounds like you were you you and your first wife were, were newbies. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So so a little give me a little sense. Like what, what point did you get interested in seeds and when was that and how did that transition occur? Well, it's funny. I I I've I've always been interested in growing seeds like right from when I the get go of, uh, of when I when I started gardening and I don't know why. That's just my my bent, I guess. I I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to grow beans, I may as well keep the seeds. And so I've always been a, a seed saver that way. And um, you know, gradually as as I I sort of built up our production, you know, learning to to grow food for ourselves, and then having, I guess, the first thing we did is I had a roadside stand, and I would sell vegetables to the neighborhood, and and um, still, you know, saving my own seeds and as best I could. It, saving seeds is unless you actually go to a school to learn um and and uh back then going back 20 years now there really wasn't you know there wasn't anything to to learn from unless i was going to go to university uh and and study agriculture but uh so i just learned mostly on my own and i've you know read whatever literature there was around and uh gradually as i got as i got bigger i you know I would sell vegetables at, uh, on the side of the road, and um, it's hard to say when exactly, but at, at some point, the seed growing took over uh, from the vet. Like, I still grow vegetables to sell at the market, but it's no longer the main source of my focus or my income, and seed seed, uh, seed growing and selling is has become sort of my main focus. 
And could you could you could you tell us why that is? How why did that? How would you describe like why did that transition happen away from fresh veggies, slowly towards being dominated by seed production and sales? Um, two reasons. One is because I find it utterly fascinating, and the the learn there's so much to learn about it. Like I'm interested in growing lots of varieties and and uh, just having you know hundreds of different flowers going on the farm at the same time and by flowers i mean vegetables that are in flower <laughs> um and uh and the other reason is um is it as you get older as a farmer uh, you know doing the the full-on market uh uh vegetable production it's, it's a slog it's hard on the body um and and uh it's unrelenting you know like you just you're always trying to produce as much food as possible uh you know get it out sell it it's it's very demanding and and uh whereas seed growing i find it much more uh uh it's easier on the body like you you know you put in a crop you start a crop you put it in the ground and you're you're letting it grow for six eight ten months you're harvesting the seed and then you can process the seed in a more relaxed manner, you know, in the late fall, early winter. And then, and then your, your, your selling season is, uh, sort of from, you know, January to, to June. And, and I just find it a lot more easy. It's just, it's not as intense. It's, I, I guess as I get older, I'm, I'm, uh, in my early fifties now. Um, I just, I just find it, uh, yeah, it's just, just not so hard on the body. So before we kind of proceed into the next phase of this conversation, Sal, I want to dwell a little more on, on your, your business and your farm. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to hear what, like, just a sense of the kind of variety of vegetable seeds you grow. Um, I'd like to know whether you're buying from other growers as well to add to what you sell. Uh, and I'd also just love to know what you love producing the most, uh, on your farm for seed purposes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I grow, <clears throat> I haven't, I don't have the exact, exact number of, of vegetable varieties that I grow, but it's right around a hundred. Um, and incre it's increasing a little bit every year as I, as I get more, uh, as I get better at it. And, uh, so we grow about a hundred varieties, not all at once every year. I I'm usually in about well, some varieties I grow every year, like say parsnip seeds, because they don't last very long. Um, and then others, uh, most others I'm on a two-year rotation of. So we might grow 50 to 60 varieties, well, say 40 to 50 varieties a year um, of vegetables. And uh, my my favorite varieties kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to say what I a, a favorite variety, but definitely one of my favorite varieties is growing onions out for seed. Uh, the the umbels when they come out, the flowers are are uh, really really pretty. They attract all kinds of pollinators, and uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something about how they just their their beauty in the garden is really is really cool, and uh, you know how you can just connect with a certain a certain vegetable if you're a you know a vegetable grower you. You just connect with growing that certain variety of tomato. Well, I, I really, I really love growing onions. They're just so, such a, they, they really, it's not just the actual vegetable, but, uh, but it really fits into sort of the, the lifestyle. Like I, I'll start 
you know, a, a whack of them in the spring and, uh, and plant them out. Um, and some of them will end up getting sold for, you know, for in the fall for to the market. Um, and then we just put the rest by for storage and then we eat, eat all the, the crummy ones, of course, uh, we eat the crummy ones all during the winter and then the best ones get saved for seed and they go out in the next early next spring. And, uh, um, but when the, you, you think you put these, these, these old onions into the ground and they just look, you know, some of them are starting to get a bit soft and they're wrinkled and, and then you put them in the ground and all of a sudden they just start growing again. And, uh, and, and by the time they're, they're putting out these flowers, they're just, they're so vital and, and, uh, there's so much life force going through them that they, uh, it's amazing. You know, it really is. They attract so many insects as well. Anyway, yeah, yeah. This, so I'd say right now onions are among my favorite, but uh... well, let me let me dwell there for a second, Sal, because some people listening will not be seed producers, and I would love to create a visual context for them, uh, mm-hmm. even though it's not that relevant to the overall conversation. But sure. pick a variety of onion that you're going to plant out in its after it's been stored through the winter. How many onions is that to with the intention of producing seed? I mean, is it is it five? Is it five hundred? Uh, and I realize that's going to be different on different seed farms, but but I think as a, for for non seed growers, it's like a mystery to all of us. So in your on your farm, pick pick one variety. How many how many physical onions are you putting out in year two to uh, produce seed? Well, this year I put out. I saw the variety I grow for uh, uh, onions and. You know, you can only grow one variety of onion at a time. Uh, well, there's there's a couple of different species of onions, but um, <clears throat> Allium sapo, which is your storage onions, your walla wallas, your your sweet onions and storage onions. I grow a variety called uh, Newberg. I've been growing it for uh, many years now, and uh, and when I grow them out for seed, I usually do about a hundred foot bed. Picture three feet wide by a hundred feet long, and then. Uh, there's two rows down the bed. I plant I plant the bulbs about a foot apart. Um, so we're looking at uh, a couple of hundred for sure, closer to 250. Usually I can get about 250 in that in that uh, 100 foot bed, and uh, and each one of those bulbs will put up a half a dozen or so flowering stalks. And so once that once that bed starts to flower, all of these stalks will go up, oh, maybe two and a half, three feet high, and uh, and they have a flower that comes out. It's, and it's it's funny; it's almost the shape of the bulb. Um, so the flower will come out almost round, and uh, each uh, flowering stalk will have hundreds of flowers on it. So we're talking tens of thousands of little tiny flowers that are you know kind of star shaped it's quite amazing like it's you know if you're walking down beside the bed if you stop and listen you can hear the hum of the insects it's 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 quite astounding and uh you know one of the things i i find you know just so amazing about uh seed growing and and i would suggest this to every home gardener too is that once you start saving seed you know, you, you'll never have a problem with, with attracting benefit, beneficial insects to your garden, um, or in fact, your neighborhood, because you have so many flowers in, in your backyard that it's, 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 it's amazing. Thank you for that, Sal. 
How about sales structure? Can you tell me about, uh, um, I, I mean, mainly I want to know what your sales structure is right now, but, but you could include a little bit about how that has evolved as you've uh, gotten more professional, I guess, over the years. Yeah, sure. Um, so we, so I, um, with our, with, with our seed company, we, we only grow and sell varieties from our farm. You know, I don't know if it's the best decision, you know, but a lot of seed companies uh, buy in seed, which would flesh out our catalog a lot. Um, and that seems to me the, the main reason to do that is it, is it is that people don't want to, you know, shop around for, for you know, a bit of seed here, a bit of seed there. They want to go to one place. Uh, they want to go to the Walmart or the Costco and get all their stuff at once. And, uh, and, um, and so that's why seed companies generally get lots of different uh, growers. You know, they have a large catalog. You know, our catalog is, is, is smaller for sure, but you know, we feel really good about having our, uh, you know, growing and selling our own seeds. And, and, and that's great. Uh, we sell online. Uh, we have our own website. It's uh, sweetrockfarm.ca, and uh, we also sell. Uh, well, well, we're part of the BC Eco Seed Co-op, um, so we um, put seeds into that. Um, I also sell seeds uh, in bulk to Salt Spring Seeds, and and then I'm in a couple of local uh, garden stores. Um, I have a couple of seed racks, so I, I that's. That's how I uh, sell my seeds for the most part, and uh, and it works. It's great. We, you know, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm not making a million dollars, but I'm supporting myself through the farm, and it's uh, yeah, it's great. So clearly, you've got a model, a sales model with diversity built in, and that is probably the strength. But of those different channels, what's the most important to the business? Um. Oh yeah, I also forgot to mention that I also sell. To CD Saturdays, and that—that that is the bulk of my seeds. I, I don't, I forgot that, but uh, yeah, I go to every CD Saturday uh, that's on Vancouver Island um, and in the Gulf Islands. I think there's one, one I might miss or two, just because of uh, uh, logistically, it's hard to get there. But uh, um, so that's that's actually a, a, a good chunk of our sales go there. Um, uh, I just. I was really fortuitous. I actually just started uh, our website this January. Um, <laughs> I, you know, this was, so this is pre COVID and, uh, and I didn't, uh, I wasn't, you know, had nothing to do with COVID, but I was like, you know what, it's time to start selling online. I, I just want to get this up. So I'd started, started getting a website developed in October, November. And uh, anyway, had it online by no uh, by january and then it was just crazy i just took sales just went <laughs> like i was like oh my god this is like i should have done this years ago no <laughs> i don't think it would have developed so fast but uh yeah sales were insane this spring and uh, i have nothing to compare it to but everyone every other seed grower who had a had website experienced the same thing so um and it was and it was a lucky thing that i did that because uh the um sort of the latter part of the cd saturday season they they were all canceled all this oh the rest of the cd saturdays so so uh while i missed out on the sales of those i 
more than made up for it with uh, with website sales. So I, I'm not sure how it's going to be this year coming up. I have hope, but I but I suspect that most of the CD Saturdays will be uh, uh, canceled again. Living proof, Sal, that to be successful in business, you need wisdom, you need skill, and sometimes you need a little bit of luck. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing. Um, so, okay, quick question about that. You you got the website going uh, so clearly before the reality of the pandemic set in. You did not think it was going to be uh, represent such a a large percentage of your sales in 2020. I know. I know just because I read a blog post on your site, I think, um, that that in a sense you sold out through the spring because of the demand. And really quickly, I want to ask, earlier, you mentioned that certain crops you grow, you only grow over a couple of years to give you a couple of years worth of seed supply. So do you exercise restraint in a year like 2020 when when a seed could actually sell out where you would have none of that seed left? Um, do you exercise restraint and save some for for you know next year's sales, or do you just say, okay, well then I'll grow that one two years in a row because I want to. I'd rather have the money in my hand than assume I'll sell the rest next year, like in a normal cycle. Mm, uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't. I, I. I don't. I don't ever exercise restraint and 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 uh, and say. No, I'm not going to sell this. If there's a demand, I will I will sell all my seed. But uh, I, I try to have minimum population size, so there's no uh, you know in in breeding or, or I guess just to keep to keep the genetics diverse enough. I yes, yeah. yes, yes, to keep the genetics diverse enough. And so so when you do that, you end up with a, a whack of seed. Like you know, you have to have a minimum of just to use an example of of uh, 200 uh, corn plants to maintain a, a minimum population size and and so you end up with a lot of corn and um and and in the past i haven't been able to sell the sell it all in one year so i would stretch it out over two years and that seemed to be enough um to do a two-year layover and uh but this year i i sold out of like i like i said i i sold out of almost everything and so we did a massive grow out this year of of seed and uh and hopefully that'll be enough for for uh this upcoming up, upcoming sp spring but uh, my plan is to is to expand our seed production a bit more so that i have enough to to sell out you know if i need to every year i think we've kind of covered this sal but i want to the next phase of this conversation i want to be keeping the new or aspiring seed producer in mind. Um, and in this first one, we've covered a little, but I'll get you to reiterate, retread some ground here. Mm -hmm. I was gonna ask you where where you learned how to grow, harvest and clean seeds. And it, it sounds like you learned on the go, you taught yourself, but maybe in answering, you can talk about different sources of knowledge over the years uh, because, because so, so it sounds like you taught yourself, but you must have had help in in terms of books and conferences or whatever. So, so tell me a bit about your learning curve. Yeah. Okay. So when I first started uh, saving seed, it was, you know, the basic uh, basics: beans and peas. I mean, they're they're pretty bulletproof. You know, you let them dry on the vine, and if you have a small quantity, you just can break them with your hand and you know finish drying them on a plate. Um, and so that's how I started. 
um, when I started getting more interested, I started searching out um, books and I found uh, the book Seed to Seed by Suzanne Ashworth. And, and that was, that sort of set me going like, wow, you know, you can, you can do a lot kind of a thing. And, and, uh, but it was, it wasn't really great. Well, it had like pretty much any variety you can grow under the sun and in, uh, in your zone. Um, it, it wasn't really good on, on details. So I, I, you know, over the years, I, I've, I've, uh, read lots of different publications the Organic Seed Alliance in the in the states has uh, this is a great resource. You can um, um, uh, get uh, um, online publications on lettuce seed production or beet seed production. They're all free. Uh, you just you just sign up and uh, and they will send. Uh, well, you can yeah you, know, you can just download the information. Um, the Organic Seed Grower by John Navazio. Uh, came out just a few years, I guess, and I'm sure six or seven years ago, and that was another great resource. And I've also taken a couple of workshops with uh, John Navazio. He's come to Vancouver Island a couple of times, and and he's a great, a great speaker, and uh, uh, and and a great way to uh, uh, expand your knowledge base. Um, but I would say probably my best source of uh, of knowledge has been other seed producers in the region like i'll go to a cd saturday and uh and i'll be chatting with with the other the other other guys and and i'll say you know i'm having a hell of a time trying to to get uh my onion seed cleaned like i can't seem to get the little bits out what do you do and and you'll say oh yeah well just blah 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 and and, uh and that's great and and probably my best mentor has been uh dan jason of salt spring seeds he's He's been doing this for, well, I don't know, long before my time. He's been doing it for decades, and uh, and uh, he's he's been a great source of inspiration. And you know, and when I was interested in in selling more seed, he he uh, he said, "I'll sell your seed." You you know, and and so he's been he's been really great. He's a he's a, a mentor to a lot of seed growers. As you learned. What did you find surprising or challenging? Try and just think of back to when you were newer. I mean, what 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 aspect of of the? I mean, if you could try and focus on the harvesting and cleaning, mm-hmm. you know, could you, does anything come to mind that was like particularly tough to to learn how to do or to to master? Yeah, um, yeah, the growing part, like of the vegetable, is 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 the easiest part. You know, like. Um, but I, I guess there's, there's a couple of different things that I, that I, I still, well, I don't struggle with, but, but, but there's sort of continual uncertainties with, and, and that, you know, and, and one would be when, when do you harvest that seed? You know, should you let it stay on and ripen a bit more? Because ideally, I, in an, in an ideal world, you're, you're going to let your, um, your bean plant or your, you know, your onion or your corn or, or whatever it is you're growing, you're going to let it dry, you know, and stay on the plant until the plant is good and dead until, you know, it's dried by the wind and, and it, it'll just fall off into your, into your uh, basket or, or container. And that's ideal. But 
since we don't live in an ideal world and the weather t- seems to be getting a little bit more um, wacky and, uh, you know, when do you harvest that seed? I, I'm, I tend to struggle with that year and year. Like, should I harvest these beans now or let them go for another week? Huh? We're sp- supposed to get rain in a few days, but are we going to get rain here? You know, in the Gulf Islands, you know, quite often it'll be raining on Vancouver Island or in the lower mainland, but it won't be raining here. Um, or we'll get some weird weather squall that'll come up to Georgia Strait and then hit us, but it doesn't hit anywhere else. So it's it's uh, it's hard to know. So I, I find the heart when to harvest that dried seed. You know, do you harvest it a little bit early and then dry it in a greenhouse? Do you let it sit there on the plant? So that that's a that's a tough call, and, and you have to do that every year with every variety. And sometimes it's easy, and sometimes you've got to make a, a tough call. And and uh, um, and the other thing I find a little bit difficult, um, and this comes and this this is getting better, but but uh, you know when you are growing out a, a big say bed of onions, uh, like I was saying, you're you've you've selected the best onions to go go into that uh into that bed and but at the same time you still have to to rogue out the ones that are not performing as well or that look like they might have a bit of disease on and i and i still think about that like oh should i should i get rid of this one or should i allow this broccoli to to should i eat this broccoli or should i sell it or should i should i um let it go to seed it doesn't seem like it's performing maybe as well as the others but but, you know, something John Navazio said, and I think about this a, a lot when I'm growing, is he, is he said that seed growing is as much art as science. And he says, don't think that you need to just pull out a, a plant because it's not performing as well as the others. It, it may, in fact, be better suited, um, but it's not growing well because it's been planted on top of a rock or it doesn't have as much compost underneath it as the other plants and is actually doing really well considering that it has no compost. So, so he was just, you know, you have to use your gut and your instinct just as much as the science behind it. And, and so that's something I, I think about all the time as well. Is there a tool or a piece of equipment that was a game changer for you for efficiency or otherwise? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> um, uh, the the stirrup hole for weeding, I I I uh, I use that like every day. I, it's a it's a great to it's a great tool, and then also the uh, wheel hoe with a stirrup hoe attachment. Uh, I use that all the time as well. Um, brand names, brand names, Sal. It it, it it's <laughs> important. My, my, my wheel hoe, actually, I picked up in an, in an antique store. It was, uh, it was, it's just this metal framed thing, uh, that it weighs probably more than it needs to, but, but boy, if you're, if you, it'll just, it'll just slice right through a a clump of grass because it's got a little bit of weight behind it. So you don't have to burn out your arms and shoulders It's it's really good that way. And the stirrup hoe I got at Johnny's seeds. There you go. (laughs) Okay. So I kind of cut you off. Was there something else you were going to mention for tools or? Um, I, no, those are, those are the first two tools that sprung to mind. So I would have to stick with those, but I, I'm sure if, if uh, we talked about this for a while, I'd go, Oh, you know, this is pretty good too. Actually, here's another one that, and this is, 
this is sounds uh, silly maybe, but uh, um, five years ago, I bought a little Kubota tractor and it's the smallest Kubota that you can buy. It's, um, it's got a front end loader um, and it was a game changer for me uh, because again, as you get older, you got to think about your back, you know, like um, when you're, when you're getting into farming and, and farming, you, you know, is, is a, is a, is a, is a young person's game in a lot of ways. It's hard work. Um, and for years and years, I did everything with a wheelbarrow. I, I, um, did, you know, everything by hand. Um, and I had a BCS, a walk behind, um, uh, walk behind tractor. You're, you're familiar with that, that I'm sure. Um, and, but the, but again, the BCS is, is can be, it can be hard on your back when you, when you're, you're going down a road, uh, tilling or, or doing something with it and it, and it, it bucks and, and, uh, and again, I guess I'm just, you know, at the stage of my life where, where I'm thinking about, you know, I don't want to be old and crippled when I'm 70 or 75 years old. I want to go into my, uh, into my elder years, uh, with a body that functions. And, uh, and, uh, when you're 30, you don't think about that. But, uh, now that I'm 50, I, I have been thinking about that. So when I got this Kubota tractor, I was like, whoa you know i can just go to the manure pile or pardon me to the compost pile and just scoop up compost and uh and drive it over to the row and 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 then just shovel it down and it sounds you know lazy it sounds you know pathetic to a 25 year old but but it really it really helps and uh anyway so it, it, i i really uh, value my kubota tractor Hey, you arrogant 25-year-old farmer, let me tell you something. Your back <laughs> will start to hurt. It really will. It does, yeah. Uh, cool. Thank you. I, I, I thought, as a non-seed grower, I find it interesting, and maybe it's just coincidental, that I asked you that question about tools, and you mentioned tools out in the garden. I'm just wondering if that's more of a coincidence, or is it the case that in, the, in terms of cleaning seed, it's it's just the tried and true tools that have been used for a long time that you're mainly using. Like I've asked this question to at least one other seed grower in producing this podcast, and they also didn't emphasize some huge game-changing tool that they grabbed for seed cleaning, which is what I thought would happen when I asked that person and when I asked you. But is it just you're still just using the basic, some of the basic sieves and, and fans and other tools in, in the seed cleaning stage? No, I, I do have some specialized tools for sure. Um, you know, and, and, and again, now that we're talking about it, of course, these are, these are coming up. Uh, um, I don't use as many, I do have some sieves and I think for the home gardener, sieves work really well. Um, but I, I've, I've found that as you get into more production and, and, um, more scale the sieves, they don't work so well. Like it's just, it's harder, you know, like for example, when I'm cleaning 200 pounds of a variety of beans, I, 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 sieves are just, they just, they're not, uh, they don't work. Um, they take too long, but, uh, I have two tools that I use a lot. And, uh, and one I got just this year that, that was a bit of a game changer. And it's a, it's a little, 
um, hand crank winnower um, that uh, I purchased from another seed grower that uh, she imported them from China. And uh, boy, you can load you can load it up with with uh, a huge amount. Maybe let's let's say uh, um, forty or fifty pounds of beans, and uh, and you know crank on the handle, and and it just it throws out the the chaff, and the beans come down into into a, a bucket below, and it and it's and it really helps a lot, and. Uh, um, you know, I'm still learning how to use, use it. It's a very, it can, it's a very subtle instrument. Like I, I clean my carrot seed with it, my onion seed. Um, uh, but, you know, having said that there are, I still use a box fan, um, and clean seeds in that way too. Uh, so another, yeah, another way I'd use to clean seeds, seeds is I have a box fan that's set up on a table. And, uh, and this is a great way to clean lettuce seed. And, and I find what I'll do is I'll, I'll put lettuce seed into a metal bowl, uh, turn on the box fan on low. And I just, uh, shuffle the shuffle. Think of like a, a a person panning gold. And I kind of do that with the, uh, with the lettuce seed and it just blows out the chaff. There's a bit of a technique to it, but, but, uh, it's a great way to clean, clean seeds. And that's part of the learning curve is that every vegetable seed variety has a different way to clean its seed. And so over the years, I've written down, you know, lettuce seed, do this, blah, 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 blah. Carrot seed, do this, blah, 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 blah. Um, but there's funny and odd um, ways to clean these seeds. And, and uh, for example, uh, just last week, a friend of mine, contacted me and he said Sal I've got this grape crusher that uh are you you might be interested in having I I bought it for um to try and crush apples because I thought it would be great for crushing apples but it doesn't work for apples and I don't have any grapes but but you know what I think it'd be really good for cleaning or for uh for um crushing bean pods and um and as of right now I don't have a great way to thresh large amounts of bean seeds uh, or pea seeds and uh so of course i was really uh uh intrigued so i went over there with this small amount of two or three different kinds of beans and and lo and behold this thing works like a hot dam and all it all it is is a uh, um i don't know if you've ever seen a grape crusher but uh there's different kinds but this is a uh, um just a little again it's a little hand crank that goes to a cylinder that's inside a big funnel and it just has out of about three quarters uh it's, it's just peppered with three quarter inch spikes that would normally uh, rotate and crush um the grapes and then they fall through a funnel into a, a container below well it works so great for um threshing bean pods and and pea pods uh, so when you when the bean pods are nice and dry and crackly on a small scale, the home gardener will do it by hand, you know, um, crack them into a bowl. And and it's actually quite enjoyable to watch a movie or or chat at night and, you know, uh, thresh five pounds or 10 pounds of beans. 
um, by hand. But you know, again, when you're doing large amounts, uh, you can't do that or you can. It just takes all winter. But uh, so most small scale uh, seed growers do. And, and I know uh, Dan Jason from Salt Spring does this he, is he has a box thrasher. It's about three feet by three feet and it has little wood slats at the bottom and you you can throw in 20 pounds of bean pods and uh, and then you just shuffle with clean clean shoes just shuffle over top of it and it and it works great but again when you're doing 10 varieties of beans and and larger amounts it's hard on the legs and it takes a long time so i'm hoping that this for next year um because i'm mostly done my beans now um this will work really great i'm just going to hook it up to a little electric motor and uh, i'll just fire them into this funnel and this grape crusher is going to thresh all my beans we're uh we're nearing the end of our time together sal's and uh, i'm going to try and and cover just a few more things here a couple of one-off <laughs> questions just just yeah. ra- random questions that that might help an aspiring seed producer in in a little way could you okay. talk briefly about germination testing done to a standard that works for a newbie but gives you approximate enough results to to rely on I know you can't talk about that across all kinds of different plants, but is there a general approach? Because germination testing, I gather, is pretty important uh, to be able to ensure that you're selling good seed. So, any any tips for for those getting started for for how to how to conduct germination testing in a way that is effective and simple? Yeah, sure. Yeah, this um, I did <clears throat> I I did this for years, and this is what I still do, but you know, more on a uh, regimented uh, basis, but um, take your the seed that you want to germinate, uh, whether it's you want to test your tomatoes or your your beans or or onions or whatever. Uh, just get a plate, uh, put down a paper towel, <clears throat> and then put down. Uh, you know when you when you're doing it on a uh, a small scale like a seed company scale, you do a hundred seeds minimum. But uh, for the home gardener, 10 will work or or whatever you're comfortable with. And uh, uh, so you just lay that lay your seeds into the paper towel and then fold it back over on itself so that uh, the seeds are covered and then take some warm water and um, wet the paper towel and uh, and then put the plate in uh, a warm spot that's going to stay warm, you know, 70 degrees you know if it's peppers or tomatoes it needs obviously it needs to be warmer than if it's lettuce or carrots um but put it in a in a warm place and uh, and then keep it moist for a week or you know most good seed will will germinate pretty quickly uh in just a few days um and you know that is a simple way to do it and it actually works really well. You just you just need to keep the you know have a have a little cup of water beside it so that you know when you walk by um, a couple times a day you can say oh it's starting to dry out a bit and then and then just to put a few drops of water to keep it moist and that works great. So someone getting started could consider trying to have an array of seeds in packs to sell that they've grown or they or they might cons- consider starting out by by contracting with another seed business and selling to them in bulk. 
I just want to get a sense of the gulf between pricing when you sell bulk to another producer versus mm -hmm. when you sell it yourself. Is it a huge, is there a huge difference? Is it, is it actually n not much of a, of a, of a, of a difference in price? Um, you know, no, the, you, I, I know, I know what you're saying. It's, it, it's deceiving. Like, and, and, uh, Dan, Dan Brisebois has talked about this a lot. And, um, on the one hand, when you, you sell any seed, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether it's carrots or beans. When you, when you, uh, you sell your seed in bulk to another seed company, um, you, you clean your seed and then you package it up and you sell it and you get X amount of dollars for it and you're done. And, and that's it. And, and, uh, and so it's not, at first it might seem like it's not a lot of money. Um, but, the, uh, it is, it, it, it is in the sense that, uh, you're not, there's not a lot of labor involved when, when you start packaging things up into packets, uh, you have, you know, the printing costs of, 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 um, you know, printing your logo or whatever on the package and, and, uh, and you have to buy the packets and then you have to spend the time, uh, you know, filling the packets and then you have to go to a CD Saturday and you have to pay to register and you have your gas and your, your time spent there. And so, so you're making way more money selling it by the packet. Um, but you have a lot of costs associated with it. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it, it depends. Like if you if you're doing this as a business, you have to factor in all these costs. And, and some things are like I say, with beans are a bit of a loss leader. But, you know, if you go to the market, uh, just to use a vegetable analogy here, if you go to the farmer's market with with just one thing, you, you don't sell that much. But if you go to the farmer's market with 40 varieties of things, you sell lots more of everything. And it's the same thing when you go to a CD Saturday. If you just go there with beans, you probably won't sell a ton of beans. But if you go there with 40 different varieties, you're going to sell lots more beans because people will, you know, they'll get your tomatoes and they'll go, oh, yeah, no, I haven't tried these beans. I'll get some of these beans. And, oh, I like these carrots. And so they'll get these carrots. And um, and so, you know, as a business, you need to you need to have lots of different varieties so so some crops whether you sell them in bulk or in packets they're they're just they don't make as much money as others does, does that help a bit is yeah that... for sure for sure it does and and i'm gonna i'm gonna end our conversation on a, on a possibly related question you can take this in any direction you like though um, sure. do you have what advice do you have for aspiring seed producers um i would I would say start small. I get you know, that's the the classic classic ad, advice. Uh, um, and I, but I would also say uh, start with the crop that intrigues you and and attracts you. And it doesn't matter if it's a difficult crop. There's lots of there's lots of information out there um, uh, to get started with, even if it's a difficult crop. And uh, um, and the third piece of advice I would I would give would be um, learn how to grow it first really well as a vegetable. Uh, so like I wouldn't dive into, into, uh, growing 
and and uh, carrot seed before you're you've kind of mastered the art of growing carrots. Um, so, you know, I would get good at growing carrots first and understand carrots and then go, you know what, I've got this down. Let's let's grow some seed. So those that would be the three things I'd say. Well, Sal Dominelli of Sweet Rock Farm, this has been just just a really enjoyable conversation, and I, I think uh, I think listeners will agree. And uh, I, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for participating in uh, the conference this year. Yeah, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. All right, that's it for now. Special thanks for our podcast music goes out to Matt Eckel a jazz flutist and father of organic rancher Aubin Banwell. You can search for Matt's music online. Eckle is spelled E-A-K-L-E. I also want to thank all of the guest interviewers you'll be hearing in this series as we re-release it over the next few months. Gavin Wright, Molly Thurston, Abra Bryn, Tristan Banwell, and Emma Holmes. Thanks to all of you for your contributions to the show. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed what you just heard. I'm Jordan Marr, and I will talk to you soon.